0: Good morning, my name is Aaron, and I'm so glad to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with you today. And I'm going to be teaching you today out of Acts chapter 17, and there's, if you received a review, you might want to take notes. When I was 12 years old, a lot of my friends had a huge sleepover in a different city, the neighboring city to where we lived. And we had this sleepover with probably 15 of us, and I was excited to go... But as the night went on and we participated in all the activities that you typically do as a sleepover, we started getting bored about one in the morning. And this is a time, teenagers, I just want to tell you, the Lord does say to you, go to sleep at one in the morning because nothing good happens. But some other guy had this bright idea. He said, let's sneak out the window and walk around the neighborhood. I really didn't want to do this. I really wasn't interested in doing it, but everyone else was doing it. So I snuck out the window, and we started walking around the neighborhood, and we ended up in the parking lot of a church. And we're really not doing anything. We didn't know what to do. It was some random church. No one went there. We're just kind of hanging out. And at this time, I'm getting sleepy. I'm thinking, I just want to get home. I just want to get this over with. As we're standing there, all of a sudden, I heard a statement that, changed my life at that moment. The statement was this. Cops! (laughs) And I turned my head and I saw flashing lights in the church parking lot. Now this is when wisdom did not prevail. Because the next word that was spoken was this. Run! And so we did. All the kids started running in different directions. And I know that the relationship with police and and teenagers may have changed somewhat through the years, but one one thing has not changed. There's a particular policing method that's very effective that they teach in police academy. You may have heard of it, you may have not, but you'll understand why it's effective. This is the policing method. Chase the chubby kid. So I just started running, and I ran into a park. I ran into the park, and I had this idea, I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide in the park, and I dove into the softball field the, the, underneath the bench, and I'm just praying. I'm crying. I'm wondering. what. And, and they got a floodlight out, and they found me. You know, so That's not a big surprise to the story, is it, that they found me? So I get put into the police car. And I'm thinking a lot of things at this point. My life is over. I'll never leave my home again. And they're, they're, they're joking and they're saying, boy, they're not as fast as they used to be, are they? Ha, 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 ha. Well, I'm having a nervous breakdown in the back of the police car. So they, after talking to me, they get me to um, my friend's home, my parents' home. And one of the things I'm thinking is I'm going to be the only one who gets in trouble. Here it is, everybody's guilty, but I'm gonna be the only one who gets in trouble. So they knock on the door and they explain what happens. And I remember Byron's mom saying, well, officer, these are good Christian kids. They didn't mean any harm. And so she, she took me in to the home and talked to the officer. And we went back and opened the bedroom door to where the rest of the kids were. And they were just acting like the most innocent children in the world. But this waft of junior high B.O. hit us in the face, and they were obviously guilty. Every single one of them was guilty. I, I remember thinking of that, am I the only one who's going to get in trouble? You know, a lot of times in life, we, we, when, when we think about doing something wrong, or we think about the guilt of even sin, we, we think, well, am I the only one? Am I the only one who who's going to get caught? Am I the only one who's going to suffer the consequences? We think, man, other people get away with doing wrong things but, but other people don't get caught and we think we're the only one. But I want to show you a scripture today and I want to show you a scripture of why every single one of us need to live out the resurrection story. The Easter story impacts every single one of us. And I want you to turn in your Bibles or go to your phones if you have that to Acts chapter 17. I, it, Paul was talking to the most learned philosophers the world, you could even argue, has ever known in the city of Athens, Athens, Greece. And I love talking about Acts 17 because throughout the Scripture, throughout Acts 17, we learn so much about how we can relate to the philosophies of mankind. But at the end of Paul's arguments... As Paul was defending Christianity, he kind of gets right down and says, okay, I'm just going to sum it all up right now. Let me just sum up everything. And that leads us to today's text. Today's text is Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 30. And this is what, what Paul said to these very humanly wise men who were investigating Christianity. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance... God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness. This is a sobering statement on a holiday Sunday or a time when we enjoy all of the fun cultural aspects of Easter and the resurrection. But the reason we're here today, and the reason we're celebrating resurrection is because we all need the resurrection story. Here's my first observation from this passage. All must repent. All must repent because all will be judged. Write that down if you're taking notes. Every single one of us has to repent of our sins. None of us gets away with it. None of us beats the system. None of us can do a workaround. All should repent because all will be judged. This is what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, and look look at verse 30 again, because now that you've heard the point, I want you to connect it back to the passage. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because He has set a day when He is going to judge the world in righteousness. The best teachers we have, the teachers that we get the most out of, test us. Do they not? They may test us with different methods. But you you never really learn something from a teacher, or you never learn something from a mentor, or we never learn something from a coach if they don't evaluate us. And this is an expression of the love of Jesus. We talk about Jesus' love, Jesus' love, and yes, 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 God himself is the essence of love. That's true. But God doesn't love us if he doesn't judge us. Now, he tells us not to judge one another. So we don't judge one another because we're not qualified. We can't know people's intentions. We can't know people's motivations. We can't know their heart. But God knows the deepest parts of our heart. He knows our hidden motives. God knows when we're deceiving people. And the scripture tells us that all should repent because all will be judged. And I want you to hear this today. I'm not scared to talk about the judgment of God. I'm not scared to tell you about the judgment of God because with Jesus, we don't have to fear the judgment. With Jesus, we don't have to live in anxiety and fear and wondering if we're going to pass the test or we're going to be approved that's what the resurrection story is Jesus paid it all, Jesus was the substitute, Jesus took the penalty upon himself and so it is true that all will be judged but because of Jesus all can repent and all of us have that chance today what does it mean to repent in essence it means to change your mind about how you view God Some of us have viewed God too casually. God's been too distant. The story of Jesus has been so removed from us that it hasn't impacted our life. But the Lord is calling us today. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to turn back to Him. He's calling us to face this Jesus not just as a character that we're creating in our own imagination and we're forming Jesus to our preference and forming Jesus to what we think Jesus should be, but we can acknowledge what the Scripture says that Jesus, He was appointed to come and to judge us and His judgment is good because His judgment always has a solution. You don't have to fear the judgment of the Lord. You just have to submit to the love of Christ. The anticipation of the judgment causes us to fear him and fear him in a positive way and to submit to his love. You know, church has changed a bit. If you haven't been to church in a while, not this church, but just any church. Churches are really in delights these days, right? Have you noticed that? I don't know if the people are into lights, but the church is really into lights, the, the church people. And, 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 and I say that, I, the, these guys have worked so hard uh, you know, on lighting and, and done such a great job, and, and there's definitely some merit to that. But in the early days of our church, we didn't have any extra money, any capacity for lights. And so there is this uh, friend of mine who still goes to this church, he's not here today, who who put together a great lighting system on nothing. Uh, He would get the computer that no one else wanted to use. You know, the, the computer that had been cycled out of the office use and used that computer. And he downloaded free software and configured the lights. And he took the lights that other people didn't want. And he used all of that to create a great worship experience for us all. And since then, we've upgraded to... To, to stuff that's current today, but um, Elliot did all of this stuff when, when uh, we didn't have any other resources for him. And so he created these systems, and, and he was the only one who really knew how all the systems worked because he had to use such, such basic components and, and piece this thing together. So as the years went on and different people would come and they would work with our lights and so, and so forth like that, uh, the question would be, well, how do you change this or how do you fix this? And uh, all of us who've been around here for a while, we would, we would say, well, you'll have to ask Elliot. Well, the problem is Elliot was and still is uh, traveling with the music industry. So he's not here most Sundays. And so this kind of became the go-to st- statement. We'll have to wait. We'll have to... Fix that light when Elliot's back in town. Or you'll have to text Elliot or we'll have to call Elliot. And some of our people who started coming to the church and never met him started wondering, does Elliot really exist? <laughs> or is he just this made-up person? And it became a joke with some of them. Who is Elliot? It's a farce just to get us to not, not work on this project. So here's the thing. At that time, under that old system, we had to have the person who put it together and created the system, he was the only one qualified to fix the system. Because the one who creates is the only one who's qualified. I want you to look at verse 31 again, as we learn more about Jesus today. Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness, look at this, by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus has been appointed by God. Why? Because Jesus was the only one qualified to fix the mess of the world. He created the world. Jesus was the only one qualified because he was sinless. Jesus was the only one, the only one who could be the savior of the world. That's why we honor Him. That's why Jesus is set apart from every other religious figure because He is both fully man and fully God. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a philosopher. He's not just one who's developed this great following. He is set apart as the sinless one, the only God. I want you to write this down, my second point today. is this. Jesus was appointed and Jesus was raised. God didn't just look at Jesus of Nazareth and say, well, at age 29, he's he's doing pretty good. He's a good guy. Jesus is a good guy. He doesn't cuss much. He's nice to his mama. He works hard in the carpenter shop. I'm going to use him to redeem the world. God didn't do that before the world was even created He appointed his very son, who's part of the triune God, Jesus, and he appointed him. Jesus didn't grow into the Son of God. Jesus was a son of God before the Holy Spirit even conceived him. Jesus was the only one qualified. That's why he is set apart. He's different. Jesus is different than any other, any other historical figure. Jesus is different than anyone else we admire. And Jesus is the only one who could do the job that we needed. He's the only one who could redeem the world. He was the only one qualified to sacrifice his life on the cross. He was it. He was it. And what proved, what is the proof that we know Jesus is different and qualified and set apart? The proof is the empty tomb. Every other historical figure, you can go to... The place where their remains lay today. You can't find Jesus because Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. On the third day, He did exactly what He predicted. Exactly what He prophesied. He came out because He has victory over death. Death cannot hold down Jesus. Decay cannot affect Jesus. The power of Hades, the power of the unknown, can't stop Jesus because He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's different. He's set apart. He is holy. He is the only only one qualified and appointed to save the world. So when we worship Him, we humble ourselves, we humble ourselves before Him, and we give ourselves to Him. And, and today, I, I hope some of you, this could be a turning point for you today, where Jesus can be more than a cultural nod. Someone that we acknowledge because we fill it out on the census every 10 years we're a Christian. That's not good enough. Repentance needs to happen. An acknowledgement that Jesus is different. He's supreme. He is set apart. He's God. And you're the only one who can do it. Teenagers, your parents can't make you submit to Jesus. They can make you do a whole lot of things, but they cannot make you submit to Jesus. They can make you go to church. And they can make you participate in religious activities. But until you decide to submit your heart to God, it doesn't matter. You're the only one who can respond to the grace of God. Moms and dads in here who you may believe the church is a place of moral teaching. It's a place that's good for people, your your children and grandchildren, grandparents you may think this, it's good for morality. It's good for good choices. And yes, yes, that's true. But that's not enough because when we stand before God and we stand on that day of judgment, it's going to be how did we respond to the gospel message? Did we repent? Did we turn from our sin? Did we turn from our selfishness? Did we turn from our volition that's against God and made our will submitted to God these are the things, these are the biggest questions of our life the questions that are most important in our life to answer is not when we're going to retire it's not what our career is going to be it's not what school we choose to go to those are all secondary if we don't get the right question right the the first time, what are we going to do about Jesus, how are we going to respond to Him, is He Lord and King and God of our life is, is he in charge of us? Is he in charge of me? This is a question that is before us. This is a question that happens. And this is a question God's bringing us, bringing us to. How many of you in here love to laugh? How many of you love to laugh? Most of us do. Now, I like, things are funny to me, but I don't laugh out loud very much. My daughter's laughing over there. I, I, I find life humorous and funny. I just don't laugh out loud. I laugh on the inside. I'm just laughing hilarity, but I just just don't laugh out loud a whole lot. But there are some things that are really funny. Let me tell you something funny that happened the other day. At least I hope you find it funny, because if you don't, then I bomb on this joke. But I'll tell you the story anyway. So in my 41 years of living, there's something I've never seen before. I've never seen before a bee swarm until last week here at this church on this property. Tens of thousands of bees... They swarmed to a tree right outside our office, and it, and it caused quite, um, quite the attention on our little staff and with our Mother's Day Out program that's here on Tuesday and Thursday. We're looking at the swarm and analyzing the swarm, and you see these thousands of bees just like it's one unit on the tree, and, and they're just hanging out there. And I remember saying to everybody that I just had this, kind of sicko desire to do something. Uh, We we have this tool that adjusts the lights up there, like I could stand here and take this tool and adjust lights, and there was something in me that just wanted to go get that tool, shake the tree, and run. (laughs) It's that evil sin within me. What it really is, is if you haven't figured this out, guys are just stupid. We just do (laughs) stupid stuff. Like, we have the desire to shape trees with tens of thousands of bees. Well, 10,000 bees. The story's getting bigger as I tell it. So I mentioned that to the staff, and we, a few of us were standing out there, and we were just kind of laughing and thinking, boy, wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't that be dumb? And I said to one of our staff members, would you hold the door for me and I could run in? All just a hypothetical situation. I mean, just all just having fun. Of course, I would never do something like that. So later on that afternoon... Yeah. No, I, I'm standing there and, and just seeing where the movement of the bees were, and, and Pastor Deborah is standing next to me, uh, talking about the bees, and she's probably having some scientific analysis. If you know who she is, about what the bees are. Just like, isn't that fascinating? The bees. Well, our youth pastor Matt Malone. We'll give him some attention here. Um, he's wanting attention because he wore a suit today, so he's sitting right here. <laughs> Raise your hand if, if you know who you are. Okay. All right. All right. Some you know. Man, you got a bigger cheer than Jesus himself on the resurrection Sunday. What can I say? Um, so, so he had heard all this conversation and as, as Deborah and I are, are looking at the bees in the tree, all of a sudden I see out of the corner of my eye a flash. Mar- uh, Matt had parked his car and he had had a tennis ball in his hand and he was getting ready to throw. And panic overtook me because if anyone in the world that I know who would actually take this from a hypothetical to a reality. This is a candidate right here. This is the guy who would do it. And in that instant, I crouched and I was ready to run as fast as I ran from those cops 25 years ago. <laughs> Panic, but he froze. And this guy, I've never seen him laugh. He belly ate, he laughed, and he didn't throw the ball, but he just enjoyed putting terror into me, so. <laughs> Good. You thought it was funny. Good. I'll tell it next service. So humor is good. Humor humor is good for the soul. You know, a lot of the humor we have today isn't fun, clean humor. It's derogatory scoffing. It's a type of scoffing that's cruel, that's demeaning, a kind of scoffing that um, tears down, doesn't Lead us to the joy of life. And I want to tell you something. Be very careful what you scoff and who you scoff. I know this because I have a natural tendency to be a scoffer. I've had to submit that to Jesus. I had to keep submitting that. And here's the reason why I want to caution you about scoffing. Whatever you scoff, you eliminate as an influence in your life. Whatever you scoff, you eliminate as an influence in your life. That's why we don't need to scoff our elders We don't need to scoff grandparents and parents. We need to keep respecting them because if if we're always making fun of them, then we cut off their influence in our life. And this is a problem when it comes to our faith. A lot of us we have become scoffers about the things of God. We've become scoffers about Christianity. We've become scoffers even about Jesus Himself. And I want you to realize from the Scripture today, this is something that has happened from the beginning. And let's look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, when they heard about this Easter story, when they heard about that which we celebrate today, some began to ridicule him. And you know, that's no different than what's happening in this room. Some of us really are ridiculing what's happening in the service this morning. I don't know who it is, but I know human nature. I know from the beginning, people have scoffed at Jesus and his message, and they've scoffed at his followers. And whatever you scoff, you eliminate. But can I just tell you, don't eliminate Jesus. Don't eliminate his way. Because this is the question of your life. This is a question by which everything rides upon your eternity. Will you turn to Jesus? But others said, we'd like to hear from you about this. Then Paul left their presence. Now look at this part in verse 34. However, some men joined him and believed. Here's my last observation today. Some will laugh. Some will believe. Some will laugh. Some will believe. I want you to move from laughing today to believing. Some of you have scoffed at the name of Jesus and the way of Jesus in your heart. And no one knows that you've held back your heart and it feels so powerful. You think you have some kind of mental advantage because all of these Christians who are given their time and given their efforts and maybe even given their resources, they're so dumb, they're they're, they're so... um, primitive in their thought process, but can I and you begin to scoff the way of the Lord and because of that it's cut off the way of the Lord in your life. God wants you to repent of that today. Instead of laughing, it's calling you to believe. Instead of pushing God away, he's asking you to repent and turn to God. Turn back to him while he may be found. I want to ask our ushers to begin to prepare to distribute communion today. Because in just a few minutes, you will have a chance to take communion. We're gonna pass these out. And every single one of you are welcome to take communion today. You don't have to be a member of this church. But before we take communion today, every single one of us will have a chance to repent. Because the scripture's clear that we should not take communion unless we're turning our hearts towards God. There may be other reasons you want communion to pass today. If for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable taking communion today, you can let it pass, and we won't judge you. We won't try to, t- to imagine what your intent is. Because sometimes even Christians have good reasons why they don't want to take communion at a particular time. But I give you those qualifiers so you don't feel like you have to. But I would love for every person here who's willing to take communion because that would mean every person is right with God. Now, when I take this symbolic bread and the symbolic cup, I take this every week and it gives me a chance to examine my heart before God because repentance, repentance often starts at a one-time life-changing experience and then after that repentance occurs over and over and over again because our hearts drift from the Lord. And that's why we come together. We come together in weekly worship and we experience regular personal devotions because we have to keep turning our hearts back to God. Even people like me who have given my life to the church and given my life to the things of God, I have to repent on a regular basis. I I often have... Attitudes and language and actions that don't please God, that I know do not please God, and I have to turn back to Him. I have to turn my heart to Him. But what happens is this, is when we laugh at the things of Jesus, and we scoff, just like some did in Athens. Some laughed at Paul. They laughed at the gospel. They laughed at the message. And they turn away from the greatest message that they would ever hear. But some believed. I'd like for everyone here to be part of the some who believed. Can we not be part of those who turn our hearts to the Lord, to turn our hearts to the message of Jesus, to say, God, I know I'm not perfect in my actions or my attitude, but Lord, I'm turning my heart towards you. And that's what I hope to do. What we'll do today is I'm going to pray for the communion and It'll be distributed. I want, I want you to hold the bread and hold the cup as you listen to music and, and sing to the music. Then I'll come back and give you instructions on how we'll take communion together. Let's pray now. God, we've heard your scripture from Acts 17. We've heard these, these stories kind of revolving around these themes. But now, Lord, on this Resurrection Sunday, you're leading us back to your heart. You're leading us back to repentance. You're leading us back to the place that you called us to be and who you've called us to be. So Lord, um, for those who are not Christians, for those who are not following you, who are secret scoffers, I pray that over the next few minutes that you would, the Holy Spirit, begin to soften their hearts and prepare them to choose Jesus, prepare them to choose Jesus. For those here who are part of the faithful, the elect, the believers, Lord, those of us, we sin still, God, this sinful nature causes us to um, Think things and say things and do things that we know we know don't please you. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to turn to you today. Um, prepare our hearts. Show us if there's any sin in our life we need to repent of. We dedicate this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.